Welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and happy to have you with us today. Debt, savings, spending, and tithing. Man, for many of us, money is a topic of conversation that we really just don't want to have. We all attribute certain values to money, power, freedom, but also guilt and shame. And because I love talking about the hard things in life, we need to go here, have an honest conversation about why money makes us feel so uncomfortable and what we can do to make these conversations easier, ultimately, so that we can be more generous with our finances. Joining me on the show is my friend, Corey Howitt, the director of the Catholic Community Foundation in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. He is someone who I think has never struggled talking about money and brings a clarity to this topic that is disarming, encouraging, and freeing. In this episode, we discuss reasons why talking about money is so hard, define stewardship as an outgrowth of gratitude, how the need to give is a holy desire too often forgotten, ideas for what Catholic parishes can do to help people get back on track with their finances, and how Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University is a great model that can be incorporated within a Catholic framework. Another great episode is on Doc for you today. As with every show, I pray that it helps you navigate through the challenges of life. Please share this episode with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Okay, let's talk about money. Corey Howitt, how are you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Doing well. Greetings. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So place to start here, let's add, just tell the listeners a little bit about what you do for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Sure. I'm the executive director for the Catholic Foundation, which is part of the Archdiocese of New Orleans. We are a separate 501c3, but we work to build gratitude and generosity in the heart of the faithful. And uh, we do that through serving through stewardship and development support for all the parishes, schools, and ministries. And we also are kind of the planned giving arm, if you will, for the Archdiocese, which is, I guess, in simple layman's terms, uh, if you're thinking about giving, the giving for today, uh, which would be the stewardship and development, and the giving for tomorrow, which would be the planned giving side, kind of giving through your will, your bequest, your assets. So it's a... main support for the archdiocese and all the ministries. Awesome. Thanks for that work. It's really important. Amen. What, what drew you to that? Like, what, what made you say, man, this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think anybody's ever grown up and said, man, I can't wait to be a fundraiser. And, uh, you know, it was, I, don't, I think the mom would yank them out of school immediately and uh, say, we, just, we need to have a talk. And so, you know, it really was, uh, it was an interesting piece. I loved uh, in the, in its most altruistic sense, I was working for and organization called Boys Hope, Girls Hope. And what was interesting was I loved the mission of the program, right? The mission was to be able to provide a a Christ-centered education and give these kids hope, you know, for the future. And what I found myself is going out easily uh, and without strain, going to go ask people to support these kids. And so it was really connecting, if you will, donors to the, the, the impact of the mission. And, uh, and, and I was just doing it naturally, loved doing it, uh, moved to Las Vegas to do it. And, uh, and as I was doing this, it was, it was quite fascinating. Somebody says, you know what you're doing is an industry, like it's a, it's a profession, it's called development or fundraising. And, uh, and I said, I didn't, I, I, I really, I was clueless. 
Wow. And it's when you connect people, donors, if you will, to the passions of, uh, uh, to their passions, but it's to a need in the community. And, um, and really, so uh, I found a niche of something I enjoyed doing and, uh, and realized that I needed both the head and the heart to do it. And so mm-hmm. started with the heart and had to follow with the head. So. Awesome, man. Well, it's really great work. One of the things I've appreciated about you and the work that you do is that you make it so easy to talk about money and it's not hard. There's no fear attached to it. There's, there's, it's just kind of just another topic of conversation. Um, but that's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) It's not normal. Like money is one of those things that's really hard to talk about, not just with our kids, but, uh, but in general, like it's not polite to ask people what their salaries are. It's not polite to ask somebody how, how much they paid for a car. Um, it's just hard to talk about money with people. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think people get so, I don't know, just caught up in having this conversation? Or why do you think it's just so difficult for people to be able to talk about their money? Sure. I think some of it is innate in us and some of it is just consistently and culturally just confirmed by making it awkward. And uh, because not many of us know the language to talk about it. Interesting, the Bible has a ton of comments and views on money. Correct. Uh, we tend to ignore most of those. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a, a real big piece to say that money is tied to power. And, and, and especially in our culture where it's set, in our world where it's set, that power seems to be able to kind of follow money. Um, when we realize that our power is truly separated from that connection to money, truly, holistically from uh, God's view and worth of us individually, uh, that it really starts to kind of um, take the power away from money. And it allows you to really see that money is just simply an amoral um, item, just like a brick that could be either used to transform the world for the good of God um, or it could be used to be able to wield power or control over others. And so, um, and so I think a lot of people, because they're not formed in the proper education or uh, connection of what money can do in their life, um, they tend to listen to the world, like many things in our faith, right? Correct. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting you said that about power uh, and the attachment of money to power, because with that, even though it is immoral, immoral, even though it's just a tool like anything else, but because we have so much value ascribed to money or that we do have this sense of power ascribed to it, that often when we don't have a lot of money, we feel weak. Or, and again, there's truth in that we don't have as many opportunities that, that we can explore because we are limited when we don't have the resources for that. But also when people are in debt, I think that people feel uh, trapped or, or really a sense of failure, you know, that they're not managing their money well. And so all of this, not just power, but there's almost a sense of identity or this real value that we ascribe to, to our finances. No, it's, it, I think that's completely accurate. And I think part of the in, intriguing piece for most of us is that um, it, it's tied deeply to our own family upbringing. Uh, family of origin is, uh, is where we learn how to deal with money. It's where we learn how to deal with wealth. It's, it's where we learn how to deal, right, and learn our faith. And so where that, where that journey kind of comes up I can only bring my own upbringing as, as an example of that. An example of, you know, my, um, my parents really did a, a, a wonderful job of teaching my brothers and I uh, that your worth is not tied to that, but also your opportunity is not tied to that. That if you work hard, that you really can kind of achieve those things that 
were not necessarily because you had money. Now, you, they taught us well how to be able to handle ourselves around those with money um, and to be able to handle ourselves uh, with those that didn't have money, right? Serving the poor, uh, but yet going to an elite high school where people had much more income than us. And so being able to navigate both, but kind of seeing through both of those, um, the face of Christ in, in both audiences, uh, and then including yourself, which is kind of straddling these two worlds. And so, um, yeah, and, and we saw in our own family, you know, the real struggle, or if you will, that where money has kind of um, felt like it was kind of limiting in some sense. And then once you kind of start to break away from that, it really does start to open up your world differently to be able to see that money um, truly is just is that tool, uh, but is a tool that can be conformed to the way that you view it, not necessarily to the way that others view it. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So being able to just, one, be grateful for parents and upbringing and the way that you are able to associate or see money for what it is. Um, but then really just trying to encourage the listeners right now who may already feel like their anxiety is raising because we're talking about money, sure. just, just, just to rest a little sure, bit sure. and relax and recognize that we're going to talk about this, but, but no judgment, casting no aspersions on anybody. And that it's not too late for anybody to really learn how to take a shift away from this over-identification with their finances to just seeing it as the tool that it is. Um, so connected to that, a word that, that you use often, which, which I love, is the word stewardship, right? What is stewardship in the Catholic Christian sense of the word? And what does it mean to be a good steward of the gifts that God has given us? Sure. So I'll back into that like I do most of the time when I talk about it is uh, we'll start by defining what stewardship is not. Sounds good. And, uh, and most of the time, stewardship is related exactly to money, right? And so we talk about it inside of our parishes, schools. Uh, we say, you know, let's, you know, Stewardship Sunday, which is... Time, telling treasure. Is, 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 Time, exactly, telling treasure. Exactly. And, or Stewardship Sunday, which I always laugh, is like the biggest oxymoron. It's like stewardship's like kind of this overarching umbrella philosophy, but yet I'm going to just talk about it on Sunday. And, uh, and so it, it really is one of those and things One Sunday where a year that it, we're only going to talk about it, stewardship. Exactly. It's like jumbo shrimp. Um, and so, you know, it, I think the hard part is, is that stewardship is not just money. It really starts in the very nature, which, you know, I had the benefit of being able to really deeply be convicted of this, uh, that it first starts with a deep gratitude, uh, a gratitude that all originates from the Lord, that everything that we simply have, uh, including the fact that He, God, has loved us first. So when we recognize from that very plateau of like that God first loved us, that we didn't love God first, that God first loved us, then you start to realize that everything is gift. And that really is the very nature of what stewardship is. It is understanding that everything is gift from God. And that if that gift is to be properly appreciated and thanked uh, to our creator, uh, then it's caring for those gifts. And it's the full, stewardship is the full caring and recognition that God is the source of all and that our chance in life is to be able to not only care for those gifts, but to return them with increase. We could talk about that with increase later because that throws people off, but truly is, it's a, it's, it's, it's a deep philosophy um, tied to your theology of, of really understanding that God is the source and, and center of everything that we have. And, uh, and then from there, you start to recognize how we need to care for it. We'll talk about what you mean by with increase, because there's a balance in that, right? That 
everything is gift. God has given me these talents, whether it's artistic, creative, hard work ethic, certain personality, money, whatever opportunities that God's giving me, they're all gift. Everything's gift, right? And we're supposed to try to be in our lane where we receive what we have and be grateful for what we have, not compare ourselves to other people who may have a little bit more, a little bit better, but at the same time, accepting what we have. But what then does it mean to return with increase? No, it's great. And and look, it, it's one of the scariest Bible passages that I could read. I mean, there is... Um, when somebody starts talking about the gnashing of teeth, I'm, I'm running the other way in some sense. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's tight, but what I'm talking about is, is the bearing of your, is the bearing of your talents, if you will, uh, in, in a jar. And when in the gospel, when it was returned, uh, in the parable that Jesus shared, when it was returned to the owner, just the same way that he buried it, um, that he was sent off. And uh, he did not do anything to kind of take God's gifts that, that he was given, if you will, as the symbolism shows, and to be able to do something, to be able to make the world a better place. And so it's not necessarily, I would think, is uh, we're not talking about um, stock market returns, uh, as when people say, would he make it with a return? But being able to make or improve the lives of others. And I think that that's the, that's the true nature of when we look at the, the, the talents that we have may not be monetary, but as God has showed us, our, uh, our equality is his love for us. And so we are all unique and very much in creation. And so if we take our own created selves uh, from, from the Lord and just say, you know, this is for my gain, for my benefit, then it really shows that uh, the, selfish, um, the selfishness of what we can all be right uh, can really kind of turn itself. It doesn't maximize the gift of what we've been given. It only is maximized right in reflection of, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but it's only maximized when we give it away. And, uh, and that's that return, right? It's the return for others. Uh, it's the return for the betterment of uh, our neighbor, but also the betterment of this world. And, um, and understanding that it's not meant to just for us, it's, and, and that's a hard place to get to sometimes. It is hard, man, because that passage, what's scary about it is that the guy who buries it in the ground, he doesn't steal yeah, any money. No, he you think he's safe. He's safe. He's playing like, it safe. This guy's that's good. the hard part, man, is that like, and sometimes we want to play it safe. He's like, here's what you've given me. I'm giving it right back. And he gets chastised for it. And that's not what God wants. So the balance of being able to say, okay, I've got this gift. How do I take this gift and, and use it to maximize my potential, not just for my own gain, but for to be able to help others. So bringing this back down to specifically with money, because we could talk about all other talents sure, and sure. gifts, but for the focus of the show, looking at money specifically, some people do have the gift of being able to just start businesses and rolling with it sure. or making smart investments and being able to, to make a lot of money. That's a gift that some people have. But all of us at some point have, we work, we get paid, we do have some money. Um, what, what more can you say just about this connection as you're talking about money and generosity? Sure. You know, the, I think the key is, is just in all things, right? If we start at that spot of understanding that all this is from God, most of the time you have to, at some point in time, see if it's deserved or not. You know, what it, and when I say deserved, not as deserved as in um, that you earned it, but to be able to really understand again, not out of a guilt spot, but being able to come from a place that understands that um, what you've kind of been given 
is necessarily um, is necessarily something that is uh, fully appreciated. I, I think the word it comes and where that ties into money is this is that I. Because from the outside, we see people that make good decisions with money as successful, that that doesn't necessarily reflect in God's eyes. That if somebody is successful with money, doesn't mean they're successful with God. So um, success and generosity is not the same. And so, um, and again, another biblical reference here, right? The the widow's might, right? And so you look at it and it's like, who gave the most? Right. It was the person that was most generous that had the least. And so um, I think that that's the confusing part, because um, generosity can sometimes be measured by output. And it's not. Generosity is measured by the heart. And that's where um, that's where I think we confuse money a lot of times as we think of output as being generous. Whereas if we truly were able to manage our money to be generous first back to God, that the output might not be there as far as dollars, but if we are open to life, for example, and I have multiple children, but yet I'm only giving $10 into the basket, well, I, I could be the most generous person in the church. But what I am doing is I am first giving back to God my greatest gifts, which is my children, my family, my, my uh, everything, if you will. And I think that that's the piece that we end up looking at a lot of times is we say, well, I can't afford any more children. And so we really are flipping it on its head according not to God's plan, which is it's not about if you can afford more children or not. It's what are you being generous? You know, so we're putting it, we're putting our own giving to kind of a, a scale that money's driving the train, whereas we need to be able to drive the train first with, am I being generous and that's where budgeting comes in. You first start with how generous am I with my money? Okay, if you don't have money and you can only give $10 away, but if it's a true sacrifice, well, that's great. But if you know that like, I can only give $10 away because I'm paying formula for my children, well, that's, that's a beautiful gift in itself. And so it's really detaching money, uh, the amount or quantity of, ge- of money away from generosity and really tying it to the heart. Yeah, I like that. So making it more of a disposition of the heart. This is Dr. Mario, and I'm taking a brief pause from my conversation about financial generosity with Corey Howitt to invite you to dialogue with me on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. That's Dr. Mario Sacasa, all one word. I look forward to hearing your thoughts about hope and finances on those platforms. Connected to that, we talked about money being connected to, to power or to identity, but really the third piece here would be safety and security. And f- so therefore there's fear of being able to, to give. And that's one thing that attacks us with, with generosity is that I'm just afraid that if I give and more's going out, then I don't, I don't have enough in uh, to be able to take care of our needs. No, it is. That's probably where I, I struggle the most, right? I mean, so it's the, just the understanding of like, Hey, am I going to have enough for my kids to eat? Am I going to, you know, um, do we need a second job? Do we need, what do we need, you know, to be able to make this work? And I think, well, we, we all know what the Lord says about fear, right? I mean, it's just, it's, 
it is the um it, it is the you know thing what he that, says uh, but it, you know it's it's always a lot easier that. said than done right thank you jesus have mercy on us <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, right <laughs> but but i think one of the keys to that is that's where community comes in right when when fear um is able to be uh removed by leaning on the power of one other people's generosity um, but also the, the community, your own spouse, but also uh, your parish, uh, to be able to understand that what we have, um, we truly aren't earning to begin with. And I think that that's, that's the disposition that really comes to be able to say, um, are you really earning the money that you should, that you should make right now? Um, is, you know, are you really kind of, are you really being able to do everything, the home you have, the health you have, you know, I mean, I, you know, I look at friends that have struggled with their children with health and medical issues. There's no money in the world you can make to be able to make up. So how do they live? What, what is it that they that kicks in when they kind of recognize this point that it's out of control? Right. And I use the medical bill as an example that like something happens in your life. So are we waking up and thanking the Lord for what we're, what we're not seeing, you know, um, because when an incident like that happens, you realize that you can't possibly cover what you really don't know you don't have kind of right. thing. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, I think so. I think what you're saying is that regardless of what the circumstances are, to recognize that, man, back to the phrase, it's all gift. And so even if I'm making a salary, even if I'm making enough, like do I, am I still over-identifying this money as my own or am I recognizing that it's all gift? It genuinely is all from the Lord. Including your health. So I'm saying, I'm right. just adding to that the intangibles, right? right? So the, from your health to the car to the, the, whatever pieces are out there um, that you just, we, we sometimes just don't recognize. I mean, it's, uh, what if everything tomorrow went away that we didn't thank God for? Um, we would be stripped to nothing. Right. And Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, having the right perspective and focus and, and again, the intangibles, everything is gift. Like, the fact that we're here, the fact that I'm breathing, the fact that we're able to even have this conversation, the fact that I'm even able to think consciously in this moment, like none of this is, is because of my own doing. And, but because I am alive, but because I do have these gifts, but because I, I do have this opportunity to actualize this potential, to, to be generous with the gifts that God's given me, it's that degree of generosity, that's what God judges. And that's what God values more than anything else. Right. We're both sides a name on your building, right? I mean, a name at, at your parish hall. That you know, I have a feeling at the end of the day, you know. But what if, if I want to have my name on the parish? <laughs> you can, <laughs> but uh, just have to give more money. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, because it's only people who give exactly, money to get the right. names on the buildings. So. That's okay. We don't want our name there. <laughs> no, we don't. No, I'm just joking. But I think fear then gets in the way of generosity. The, sure. the other thing that gets in the way of generosity that's connected to this is uh, succumbing to the marketing in advertising of the world, right? Amen. Because there's a place where, even though we're talking about everything being a gift, man, if we're honest with ourselves, there, there's still something, there's that ache, there's that longing, there's, there's that little place of discontent inside of us that we just don't quite feel satisfied. And then all of a sudden, the commercial comes across and it has the supposed quote unquote answer to that longing that I have in my heart, right? And then I'm like, oh, I should buy that product because that's what's going to make me happy. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's funny you say that. Is I, as I told you, the fear of security is probably my greatest challenge for this one. Uh, I think that was part of my driver of uh, going to get my undergrad in marketing. 
because uh, I always laughed at it because um, I'm the youngest of four brothers. Of There's four boys. I'm the youngest. And uh, and always got the my parents named us all with the same initials so that they can engra- they can embroider stuff and be passed down. I'm the fourth. I didn't have anything that was my own until I was like 18, maybe 19. And uh, and so it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, and I'm teasing if my parents are listening, but you know, the we love you, Mister Mrs. Howard. Exactly, exactly. We're grateful for what you did. But you know what you, you, you what it is? It's a true detachment from it because it really, what it is is it's 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 not praying, but it's utilizing. We're human, and we have this need for you know the newest, shiniest thing. And and I think that the Lord knows that in our deepest sense, and and does have mercy upon our souls. But I do think that that same balance is what allows us to be able to understand that we have to go, uh, we have to grow things. Like we have to put it in return, if you will, with increase. And so there is a certain need for um, increase. There's a certain need for kind of continued growth. But is it always for the benefit of another or is it our benefit? And I think that that's where marketing does. It's a a true and real challenge that... um, you know, my, my daughter was driving home in a friend's car the other night, and she's like, Dad, when are we getting heated leather seats? And I'm like, your bum needs to be cold. You know, for a, a number of things, it'll be hot in hell if it's, uh, you know, and, and nothing against uh, heated leather seats. But, you know, well, We have it, heated leather seats in our van. <laughs> I guess I'm burning right exactly now. <laughs> you know, but the point is, is like, it is, it's attractive. It's like, wow, this is nice. When you don't have them, she never knew she didn't have she didn't have heated leather seats, right? And so it's kind of this interesting piece that we get, um, we, we get this kind of this attraction to these things, but they're really not necessary for our existence. And so, um, and so they, they are simply just comfort. Uh, right. and, and especially in our world, right? I mean, we, what are we, Americans are in the top five, 10% of the entire U.S.'s, I mean, entire world's um, income. Oh, and course. so even our poor, uh, again, dollars don't necessarily equate to cultural and, and um, economic and political environments, but um, we just have so much in this country that we don't even realize. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so there's a balance, right, between the longing in my heart for, for satisfaction, for comfort, which in and of themselves aren't bad desires, but then this whole industry of marketing that wants to try to target ads and get to us. And so we have to kind of be aware that we are also very much influenced. Like your daughter is saying, she didn't even know what heated leather seats were until she saw a commercial was over a friend's house. And they're like, heated leather seats. Oh, I want that. The one thing that I was missing now I have it. Right. You know, and you have to kind of correct her a little bit, be like, no, you know, calm down, honey. This is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's, I just love this so much. I really want to talk about it. Did you see what Payless did recently? Have you, have you seen this? This is phenomenal. It showed us we're all shallow. It showed right? us that we're all shallow. <laughs> yes, exactly. So for the listeners who don't know, Google Palessi, right? And what Payless did basically was phenomenal. They opened up this high-end boutique store in some uppity part of Los Angeles where they they made the store look like this European designer only, you know, avant-garde statues and everything was super cool and hip and, and, um, employees who were there to tailor your needs or whatever. And then all the shoes that they put up for sale were just Payless shoes couched within this like super high-end boutique store. Right. And so they invited like these fashionistas and social media experts to come in. Right. Oh, oh these, this shoe is so <laughs> phenomenal. It's the best thing. People are going to be talking about this forever. And they were willing to pay like $600 for these $30 Payless shoes. Right. And so the whole thing was like, it just showed 
how much of a of a, a sham you know this stuff is, and and really how sensitive we need to be, myself included, of savvy marketing, which is trying to target the places inside of me that wants to feel cool, that wants to feel connected. But recognizing I have to let some of those things go yeah. and that like they're just trying to make money off of me. <laughs> and and that's been done in a number of ways, kind of in di- different variations. I think one of the things that's so neat about that is the fact of what you just said, which is we have a desire to connect. We have a desire to be loved, to be, you know, and, and I think that's the that's the power of that. There's a few things uh, that my parents always kind of taught us to kind of navigate that. And, and one of those is travel, interesting enough, that the more people you meet, the more you realize how much you have. And, and, and that's not just travel in the U.S., but travel abroad. Like really understanding where we are uh, is, is, is in an incredible spot. But the other piece was being able to see what I thought was, was really powerful about that is the connectedness of where family and where spiritual communities, hopefully your parish, can have this spot where those um, superficial uh, connections kind of erode away to be able to have, we're in this because we're loved by God. Like we're in this, you know, and I'm not just saying it to like to, to throw off any designer coats or shoes I have, but um, it's also to be able to understand like that they really aren't lasting. Like we know this deeply convicted that none of these things are lasting and that we need to help each other see that and give each other space that we don't need to be in that necessary that world of um, of the superficial connection, but the deeper, uh, more sustainable connection. Yeah. So so what more can we do to teach our kids how to uh, see money uh, and the value of it and at the same time helping them navigate some of these places? Because, you know, we do want to be able to give our gifts or give gifts that our kids desire and and be able to to take care of them and get excited about certain things certainly there's nothing wrong with that sure but at the same time like how do we how do we teach our kids better you know with regards to money yeah no i think there's two things here i could we could almost do a whole podcast and it was this article that was in um just just about 2 months ago that it was quoted in about a cashless society and what how does the church uh, kind of navigate that. So that's a whole nother piece, which is how do we teach generation? How do we teach generosity and show generosity in a cashless society that does not have a tangible way that I'm showing you? If I'm Venmo and you twenty bucks, you know, am I show? How do I kind of sh- is generosity generosity? It really kind of is intriguing that technology is bringing us back to forming generosity more from the heart than it Absolutely. is, you know, that than it is like, hey, look. Let me show everybody I'm throwing a hundred dollar bill in the basket. So it's kind of neat. That's that's a, I know that's a little bit of a, a navigation. I only say that because just yesterday, baskets coming around, one basket passed, nothing in it. Next basket, second collection for retired priest. Give my son ten bucks and he throws it in there. And I'm like, you know what? That's a way that we could show it. So cash as a tangible item is a way that we can teach children to be able to to, to give. But I think that those pieces not only go away for our society, because guess what? He, he doesn't need to learn that lesson when I go swipe at Academy for a new basketball, right? right. He knows where that money's coming from. He knows, you know. So I, I think the biggest thing for, for teaching your kids is, um, is, is it really is the, the idea that when you take an inventory of your home, walk through your home, walk through the, your kids' items, um, how much is there that truly 
it just goes away. That it was the hottest item last year, the new Hot Wheels car, the new, you know, uh, computer or the new phone, whatever. And it's like, so the new marketers will tell you that that's garbage. But for your kid, you know, that's, it's how you treat that product. It's how you treat it inside of the, the, the um, importance in your life that I think teaches them more than just even the, the, the piece with, with money. But I would say this about money with children, that I think one of the keys to that is, is giving them more and more opportunities, almost monthly, if not weekly, to be able to do something for somebody else. Because I think it's the, it's the very uh, characteristic of, uh, and fruit of the Holy Spirit, charity that, and love of another that then drives the secondary piece. That money can come as a secondary lesson if charity is first kind of driven at home. Um, you know, it's the old saying that you, you say charity starts at home, but doesn't end at home. And so, the, the, you know, if it's from uh, doing something uh, to be able to go uh, serve at the homeless shelter, kids are not too young to be able to expose. A lot of them are like, I can't show my four-year-old that. It's kind of funny. Last year, we were on, I took my kids under the bridge, and we made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and we walked through them all. And somebody's like, no, you're going to get jumped or whatever. Um, my, my son still prays, my three-year-old son still prays for the man after we gave him his sandwich, he made the sign of the cross. And so my other son looked at me and says, why did that guy make the sign of the cross? Is he Catholic? And, uh, um, and, and we don't know to this day, but the beauty of that was is that that charity drives any money decision. So it, it really is kind of more of an exposure to them, I think, to children to first get the giving of themselves corrected, or not corrected, but taught. And then I think from that point, then you're able to see that um, that their money can then, when they start getting to the tween age, that they have to steward their gift. Uh, if it's from allowance to be able to give it away, um, all the way down to being able to budget their money so that they know that generosity kind of drives their budget. Um, but I think it's first charity. I, you know, I, I know that might oversimplify it, but I think especially at a young age, what I've seen is that, that the, the character traits drive the money secondarily. Yeah. And so finding ways that families can be more at service, you know, you shared the story about your, your upbringing and stuff for me, funny enough, actually, like, um, my dad's a doctor and when we were growing up, when he first moved to the States, he wasn't, um, licensed as an American doctor. So he was working at the university of Maryland in the biology department. Um, my mom also had to work. So that was the only time on my left that my mom had to work just to be able to make ends meet because my dad wasn't making a, a lot at that time. And so for daycare, I don't even know how they did this, but like they put us, they, they put me and my brother because we're the youngest of the four at the Ronald McDonald house, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I had no idea what the Ronald McDonald house was, right? It was just a place where we would go because I guess it was connected with the biology department or the school or somehow my dad was able to work out, hey, you guys just stay there for a couple hours a day. And, uh, and so we would go and that's where we would watch movies, but then we would play with all these kids who were sick and terminally ill. And I, and I remember that there was one girl in particular who like we became friends with and and then all of a sudden she wasn't there and and i was like five or six and i don't remember like what was going on but now as an adult she died obviously like you know she was gone oh. but just like it's funny like even now 30 plus years later how much those moments have have made an impact on me even when i was a kid so quote unquote five six years old and not old enough to understand that i'm interacting with other kids my age who had cancer or that were that were sick or had other sort of you know disabilities but, um, but certainly like, as I reflect on those experiences now, man, that really shaped me. 
and really shaped me and probably even in my desires of wanting to be a counselor and all these different things. Like knowing yeah. that, wow. that there are other places, other ways that I can, that people are in need, well, you I think know, and I need to be generous. That, I love that because I think it validates that if you ever uttered the words, which we all do, so this is not a judgmental thing. If we ever utter the words, um, well, they'll learn that later, um, that it, it later is now, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's more of a, um, an infused culture that we need to be able to, to teach our children of the true care for others. And yeah, that, that's a neat story, but something that happens at the very young age, three, four, five, I mean, and so it, it continues to be infused in that as you kind of start handling money at an older age. Uh, but it's truly that you, you see everything is care for another. Yeah, because I think that as a counselor, I've seen like the three hardest conversations that parents have with their kids are sex, money, and death, right? So we have a hard time talking about sex, we have a hard time talking about money, and we have a hard time talking about death. And, and it seems like, like with kids, and this, not to go on a tangent, but, but like, like you said, well, they're going to figure that out later. Well, they don't have to figure it out later. There's ways that we can be age appropriate with each of these conversations right, right, right now. Because they have those longings, they have those questions within their hearts right now. And so let's not ignore them. And let's not pretend that everything's going to be okay, that suffering isn't going to happen. Uh, life is hard. Life is really hard for some people. And it's in those moments that we have the opportunity to be generous towards others. And that is a great lesson that we should be teaching our kids right out of the gate. Amen. Another quick breather and stretch break from my conversation with Corey Howitt. After the show is done, please head over to faithinmarriage.org backslash always hope, where you can find more great content on how living with hope helps you navigate the difficulties of life, relationships, and culture. That is, unless you're driving right now, then please don't go to faithinmarriage.org backslash always hope until you get to your destination safely. Thanks. Um, all right. So thinking about like, not just with kids, but like, I guess in, in general Catholics, um, what can we do better with our parishes <laughs> to raise this type of awareness, uh, related to funds and, and stewardship and generosity? So, you know, the, it's something that I, I wake up every morning thinking about. I mean, it's, it, it, if you will call it a, uh, a, a continued passion and desire mine to be able to address this issue. Uh, I think, especially amongst Catholics, uh, we are, um, we're just not, we don't talk about uh, generosity much, or if we do, it's in a sacrificial term that doesn't also allow us the opportunity to talk about manifestations of generosity, which is money you know, a lot of times. And so we don't talk about money. We don't talk about budgeting. Um, it's funny. I, I heard a priest, he, he gives this talk. It's interesting. He, he ties money issues inside of the Catholic Church uh, to leftover sins of buying indulgences. It's kind of interesting. What do like you mean this, by that? It's saying basically this idea that um, we're afraid that if we talk about money or giving to the church, that it'll feel like the indulgence conversation of like you're buying your way to heaven. Got it. And, uh, and that it's a leftover sin of the Catholic Church is that we don't talk about it well because we are afraid that we're going to come across like we're buying your, your way to heaven. Instead of saying, you know, God has an ordered way that he wants us to be able to approach money. And so I think parishes and priests in general, we don't talk about that much in our seminaries and in formation. And so 
it most of the time relies upon a pastor or a priest having the proper context before they even enter seminary, if it's something that they're comfortable talking with. Um, there are quite a few priests that also that are really good fundraisers, but it's more gift of gab than anything, than, than really kind of the proper context. But what I would say to that, I, I think we have to do a, uh, a better job of we ask people to be generous, but we don't teach them. And I think it's the, the old adage that, you know, that in everything we, we need to be taught just because we, we have this kind of feeling that once you graduate high school or maybe even college that you know everything in life instead of this like real, you know, um, way to be able to teach. And I think that that's a culture that's been built up inside of our Catholic church that we don't do a good enough job or we're called, I think, to do a better job, I should say, of being able to kind of form lifelong learners. And, and when I say that, I say that specifically about money in saying that we don't, you know, people come to us with problems, say like um, with uh, their marriage, right? And we know that a lot of times um, if it's something with sex, we might have a, uh, a workshop to go to or a counselor to go see. But when it comes to money, which we know is one of the leading causes of divorce, uh, in our country, and we know that north of 50% of our Catholic marriages are ending in divorce even. If that's the case, why aren't we addressing ways to be able to talk about and communicate money? Really half the secret most of the time about um, NFP or many other things is the, uh, open communication and dialogue between a couple. So why can't we mirror that and have open communication and dialogue amongst couples in the context of a parish setting? And I think that that's been a, not only a challenge, but a truly moving target for our, our church, because it really starts at, at a little bit of a change of a mentality that the parish is not looking simply to be generous to them, but they're looking to be able to teach their parishioners how to be generous, knowing that their parish will benefit if they teach them that. But it's a true flip of the mind, not asking money for the parish, but truly seeking and desiring the service of the human person. And I think that that's where a lot, you don't hear that much in our parishes. Like, yeah. hey, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be good. Let's get a nurse in here. We do have a parish with a nurse keeping, you know, people's hearts healthy. Well, why don't we keep their wallets healthy? And why don't we keep their, you know, communication healthy? So all these things, but if we just flipped it on its head and had parishes start to have the conversation and say, we need to be able to open dialogue amongst couples about what is money? What's the family of origin that you come to with money? And how do you treat it inside of the context of your family? And, um, and I think we've found a little bit of a way to be able to start doing that on a more scalable model um, through the Dave Ramsey program, as we talked about earlier. Uh, but I also think we've been able to, we're, we're starting to shift. You know, our Protestant brothers and sisters have done a great job about serving the human need of the people, you know, and always use the, um, I use the story of uh, which we named one of our children after St. Peter Claver, right? When he swam out to the ships uh, in Colombia, off the coast of Colombia, he didn't first and was like, hey, y'all know Jesus, right? What did he do? He treated their wounds. He helped serve the very human person that they were, got them well. And from there, they truly saw the light of Christ. And I think it's just relevant just as much as today's society. We have families and couples swimming in debt not being able to kind of get through the weeds or the waves, if you will, to do the Peter Claver uh, uh, symbolism here. So they can't even see yet through their own wounds that they need Jesus because we need to first fix some of the very tangible ways that they're struggling. 
And we obviously know, know in our world that finances is one of the main ways that people are struggling. Yeah, man. I know the talk that I've heard you give, you said this, this phrase that really stuck out, that debt prevents us from living a culture of life. And, and that is a real switch of the flip here, right? Or, or um, flip of the switch, which are where I'm getting my brain exactly. wires crossed back over here. Um, but, you know, when we talked about Stewardship Sunday, you know, it's always the, the parish finance, you know, the state of affairs, which is, which is fine. We need to have those conversations. The parish needs to know what the giving is looking like. If, we, if the pastor needs to ask for more money, hey, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when that's the only conversation when it comes to money, well, then we're falling short, right? And what you're saying is something else, which is if parishes are dedicated to help people be better with their finances, well, then the, by consequence or by, by accident or whatever, the parish will also benefit from that also. But if the primary focus is to take care of people and not just to evangelize them or, or make sure that they're putting money into the basket, but to help them to be better with their money, well, then I think that serves more clearly the mission of the Catholic parish anyways. It, it is. And, and I think what's fascinating about it is that when you're able to do that, you see the true freedom. Funny if the name, the class is called Financial Peace University. Well, let's talk about the Dave Ramsey yeah. thing in a second here. Let, 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 finish your sentence, but, but, but we'll talk about Dave Ramsey. But I think the connection there is, is that there is this true freedom and peace that comes when we serve individuals that way. But yet our parishes continue. Just going back to the, the question you asked about our parishes. If you sit in your parish this Sunday and for the next five weeks, six weeks, listen to your pastor. And I'll promise you, and this is what we know culturally happens in them is we always tend to talk about giving to a need, not the need to give. So flip it on its head, giving to a need or the need to give. See, there's a spiritual need to give. We know that. We know that in order for us to be fully uh, the work of Christ, we have to surrender. We have to have that kind of surrender. And that's understanding that there is a deep need in us to be able to give. We have to. It's tied to our very souls and our salvation. Yet, Every Sunday in our parishes across the country, we talk about the ACs broke or that we need to put the cross up or that we need to be able to build a parish hall for community. We continue to talk about the need. And that's what drives a train. But we never hear the message about, you You know what, if you want to be tied to Christ intimately, you have a spiritual need to give. And I think that that's the, that is the very crux of what changes um, or what needs to change, and not only in my heart, all, all of our hearts, but is that um, we need to quit talking about the outcome of one or two things that we could buy. Because guess what? When that church is built, does our does our need to give go away? Right. Of course not. But in the mind, in in the in the very practical mind, oh, Father's got his chapel built. I'm done here. Yeah, we got the the projects over. Let's keep moving. Right. Yeah. No. And so. And cultivating a sense of desire to give and recognizing that it's only in giving of our gifts and returning with income, as we said earlier, returning right with investment there, that, uh, that we're able to grow as people uh, and just being able to tap into that desire. Now, let's talk about Dave Ramsey here for a second, because you and I off this, I mean, for years we've talked about Dave. And I mean, for me personally, FPU, Financial Peace University is, I mean, it just flipped, I mean, switched the thing right, right around. Like 180. When I took the class, like the way I looked at my money was completely different than the way I looked at it prior to. Um, 
So why is Dave's program so effective? One. And then the second question is, what are you doing uh, with Dave Ramsey and his organization to be able to bring FPU into Catholic parishes? Sure. So there's there's two things, as you had mentioned. I think the first is um, really the, the effective piece. The way that he speaks passionately about God's view on money is uh, is unprecedented. Um, he he truly has a very prophet tone in the way that he talks about God's context of money. So this is not just though his name's on the program. Dave is the first one in in and through the whole program to be able to recognize that it's uh, uh, God's vision uh, for money, not not his. And so I think one of the things is because money is so hard to talk about, uh, he's, um, I, th- I think, filled a void inside of Christian and some Catholic circles to be able to talk about this because it's freeing when you hear that, uh, that God has a lot to say about it and it's in the context of discipleship. Um, you know, he has, uh, he has many people without going off on a tangent that would say that he's maybe prosperity gospel or, or other pieces um, when he first leads with generosity as his conversation, all that goes out the window because he says, I, do we do this so that we could give away more? And I love the frame of that. And so I think that that's why he has been yeah, so successful. I would, I would challenge that prosperity gospel mindset also, because he's not talking about like, you just pray enough right, and, it's exactly, gonna, and right. God's going to bless you a thousand fold. No, no, exactly. no. He says pray, but he's very, very hard in saying like, this is behavior changes that need to happen Amen. also. No, it's discipline. It's and- discipline. Yeah, and so uh, so I think that's it's key because there's very few voices in this arena. We do have some Catholic voices, but I think the scale bit is the next piece of this. The segue into it is that we have um, Dave offers scalability, so he's really come up with a, a neat program that allows you to enforce the the good behaviors uh, to really make to make it work. And I think this it, we just said the word discipline. I think part of discipline is having tools around you so that you're one, either affirmed in what you're doing, but two, that you have tools that allow you on a day-to-day basis to really engage. And that is where most of the pieces are missing for people. They kind of feel like an island, like either I have to do this. But when he starts talking about spouses uh, and, and, and tools to be able to communicate inside of a spousal relationship about money, and here's how you could do the budget, and here's what the... There's just, there's no other resource out there that's that prolific and centered on God. And I think that that's the key for us as uh, as faithful Christians and uh, is to be able to to have those tools. So it's a great tool to have. And then the secondary piece of that is, is that inside of the faith, uh, instead of throwing the baby out of the bathwater, we really started saying, how can we take the very nature of his uh, conversation and tie that into the very richness of the Catholic church and that they are symbiotic. They do hold hands, uh, but we just need to do a little bit better job. And they have been, Dave Ramsey and his team have been open to being able to hear our lens that we can then put on this. Something as small as sacrifice, right? Uh, You walk into a Catholic church, what do you see most of the time? A crucifix, right? Well, sacrifice for another just is a, a further connection to discipline and generosity, right? And being able to kind of draw those dots um, and draw those dots together for individuals to see that the the discipline needed inside of a financial program 
such as Dave Ramsey's, is the same discipline needed for prayer, for day-to-day prayer? Uh, is the same discipline needed for NFP? Is the same discipline needed, you know? And so it's only rooted in Christ that we're able to even do this. And so uh, with their opening of us working with them through the Catholic Church, uh, we're hoping to be able to really provide some supplement pieces so that parishes can journey through this together uh, through the Dave Ramsey program to be able to uh, pull it off and, and offer it in parishes. Uh, anything else you'd like to plug, Corey? Got anything yeah. else going on, man? No, you know, just really being able to to help push throughout the uh, throughout your own parish. This idea that if you've heard anything that you know that really struck your heart today, to dive in. There's a lot of resources out there to be able to understand that um, there's a God says a lot about money, and God says a lot about our own generosity, and uh, and it really starts um, just with your own heart. And uh, as you've heard me struggle with my own challenge, right? We, it, it, we all have our ups and downs. But I think if we as a church really took this more seriously, uh, that we would become a more fruitful, more blessed church in the future. What resources would you point people to specifically? Sure. I, I think if you're in a local diocese, go into your diocese stewardship and development office. Uh, if you're in uh, specifically, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great books about this, uh, the spirituality of money. God and Mammon, there's a few books that really kind of help uh, steer and orient our, our vision of money properly and, and in the context of a relationship with Christ. Fantastic. As well as going to Dave Ramsey's website exactly, and go right. for those resources. We'll have links to all of those in the just show descriptions uh, on the, the podcast app. All right, Corey, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Final question I ask uh, all my guests here is, uh, what gives you hope? Gives me hope is uh, is truly seen in uh, not in a, a mass media message, but when you're individual, when you're working with individuals and you're with individuals, uh, the very deep desire it is to be able to connect to the Lord that every person has. And so uh, the person you meet on the street, the person uh, across from the microphone from you, uh, all the way down to the, the person in the grocery, that we all want God's peace. And I could see it in people's eyes and in their hearts. And, uh, and we can be that peace to them. So it gives me hope that we, uh, that we all have the opportunity to be Christ to another. Amen. And that includes all the listeners of the show. So Amen. thank you listeners for, for being here with us. And uh, we hope that you feel connected to us and that you know that the Lord loves you and that hopefully you feel a little more encouraged to, to handle and tackle your finances in, in feeling that mandate that this is from God also and that it's okay. And if you're struggling, it's going to be all right. So, Corey, thanks for your encouraging words and for your perspective when it comes to this. I always appreciate it. And so thanks, man, for for being on the show. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you feel more encouraged to face your finances and have those challenging conversations with your spouse and or kids. Check out the resources mentioned in the show The links are in the show description. I am praying for you and hope that you have a great day. Be good and God bless.